to an edition of the Bonsai Wire podcast from the road. I'm Andrew Robson. And I'm Jonas Dupuy. And we are here at the Shepherd Community Center in McKinley Park in Sacramento, California for the American Bonsai Association Sacramento's 42nd annual, no, 62nd annual show, I believe. Yeah, I'm here doing the, the demos and, and headlining, and Jonas is here vending, and, and uh, we're here doing a podcast, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Our goal is to make some comments about some of the trees in the exhibit, and so if you want to follow along, I will have a post on Bonsai Tonight that has photos of the trees we're going to be talking about today. Starting out, we're going to be looking at a cypress, maybe a saguaro cypress, maybe a hinoki, some some type of cypress, but uh, really, really beautiful tree. Uh, a lot of hinokis, they have this temple-like kind of vibe to them. Uh, this is a beautiful conifer in the show, something that's really nice about it, similar to our, our national show podcast, if you listen to that, is that this conifer has very little wire on it. So it's it's been a bonsai for a very long time. The pads are really established. There's hardly any wire, maybe just one or two here and there, but it, it's, it's showing its, its age of refinement in a pot for a long time. Hinoki is a timber tree in Japan, and so we expect to see formal upright. And this is fairly formal upright. While this trunk may not be perfectly straight, it's fairly close to that. And the style is definitely an upright style that looks like an old, mature, tall tree. You know, I actually, looking at it, I really like it. It has a subtle lean to the right, which I, I really, really enjoy. It, it, it gives it, for being a formal upright tree, it gives it just a, a, a hint of... Um, directionality which which I think is is quite beautiful it's really really subtle and and I'm not even sure if that will come across in the photo but it, it the crown just leans ever so slightly to the right you can see it part way up the trunk you know the upper two-thirds you know the trunk just you know takes off to the right just a little bit it's it's really really fun and so there are a lot of things that the that anyone would really look at the tree and immediately recognize that's done well is that it has a nice trunk there is taper along the trunk there are some really interesting surface roots the bark shows incredible age but that's the easy stuff to see what's really fun about this are kind of two connected things which are some of the conventions of what we look for specifically in Hinoki bonsai and on this tree the age is most apparent in the structure of the branches we have these finger-like branches coming out, the secondary and tertiary branches that support these green clouds of foliage, which have been very carefully manicured, especially near the apex, that really give it those cloud-like pads. And that's what we look for in Hinoki bonsai. You don't see that in anything, but pretty much sometimes many junipers, but Hinoki, needle juniper, cryptomeria, it's a smaller subset of our conifer bonsai. Yeah, yeah. You, you, the age of the bonsai, we don't just see it in the trunk, like Jonah said. It's, it's in every single component, which is really fun. Great, great tree. Fun to, fun to browse at and appreciate and, and have here in the, in the show. Yeah, we also can tell you about the display a little bit. It's uh, displayed with a saxifrage for an accent, but the most striking aspect of the display is the backdrop. And one thing that ABAS has done is they have a few painted canvas backdrops with just very subtle charcoal modeled gradations, more or less, that provide a really cool contrast to all of the either light or dark backdrops we're so familiar with. Yeah, it's a way to do something new without being too loud about it. It's, it's a subtle 
kind of evolution of a backdrop, which is nice to see. It it, it allows, you know, it, it gives us some refreshment from typical bonsai shows that we see, but it doesn't take away from the tree. And I think that's what's super important about it. It's really cool. It also suggests a lot of depth because it's a little darker near the top and the bottom, which suggests possibly clouds above, land mass below. And it just, it helps you imagine a scene in which this hinoki might be growing. And the last thing I'll say about the hinoki is that it's honestly one of a very small number of Cypress family bonsai with a full crown that I know of in North America. They're just, they're out there, but there aren't a ton of them. And so I'm actually kind of excited whenever I see a full round apex on a hinoki. We definitely need more cypress in our community. They're, they're, they're great plants. They're relatively easy to take care of. It's unlike a juniper, we actually pinch it when the new growth comes out, uh, which is fun to maintain those pads once you have it. You know, it's a lot of detail wiring to get that, that, that structure kind of set. But once they get like this you know it's it's fairly simple work to maintain their hinokis grow in a lot of different places um it's it's a real versatile plant it's really fun unless you live in dallas and then i'm sorry they don't do as well in dallas <laughs> yeah yeah so right next to it we have another remarkable conifer also against um, a different uh, charcoal gradation backdrop and this is a grafted sierra juniper you know, we see a lot of Sierras in California, um, and to me, Sierra is—it's—it's it's more of a—it's less of an exciting juniper compared to a lot of the craziness that we see in the Rocky Mountain junipers. But this one has some real craziness. I mean, in junipers, mm -hmm. we like either good deadwood, good live vein, or really good ones have both of the two. This one just has outstanding, gnarly, crazy, unbelievable deadwood, which you know. I don't, I don't see this quality of deadwood on a lot of Sierras. No, and it's, uh, you'll see in the photo, it's, I mean, the base of the tree is a good 16 inches across, all the lifeline on one side. So we really don't know, is the deadwood on the left, the middle of the tree, the outer ring, or the full other side? This could be a fragment of a very old tree. And as Andrew is saying, I've come more and more to look for different characteristics in different species of juniper. Uh, the Japanese species, yeah, I want to see movement, twists, undulation, really exciting movement because that's what those junipers do. We see a different kind of movement in Rockies, and I like seeing that in Rockies. Sierras are more chunky. You're less likely to see twists. You're less likely to see the movement. You're more likely to see massive, ancient, rotten deadwood. And that's the best that we've pretty much come up with in this country for Sierra characteristics. Yeah, and this, this one does that super well. You know, I think the branching is a little young on this tree, but it, this tree has such a great future. It's been grafted with uh, shimpaku, so it's, it's going to be a little bit easier to maintain, uh, less disease problems, all of that. Not that you have to graft junipers. I mean, I know that's a can of worms. But, you know, it's, 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 this tree has a really great future because it, it, it's so such a wonderful trunk and, and all the branching is in the right spot with a little bit more detail you know this is going to be top notch it really will and i don't mind taking up that grafting topic a tiny bit a friend of mine has a beautiful sierra juniper and he asked social media hey should i graft this or keep it sierra to a one every single person recommended keeping it sierra i just asked a question and i said will you be able to achieve your design goals for the tree with sierra foliage and he said no not even close he said, it'll never get as dense as I want. I can't get the silhouette I want, and I'll have to wire it every year because the branches don't hold. And so it was a really different kind of set of criteria he was going through to decide whether he was keeping it one way or the other. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. Being a deciduous guy, I like to graft my yeah. my, my my collected junipers because you know it's it's they're so much easier to maintain when when yeah. you graft them. That's not to say that I don't find beauty in the the natural ones. I I certainly do. But from a maintenance standpoint, if you're hiring a bonsai professional, it's going to be a lot more expensive of a tree if you have the native foliage, which is fine. Um, or if you're working on it yourself, it's it's just going to be a lot more wiring. It really will. And so when I see, because we're in a show right now, and so it's very relevant to think through how our judging standards, you know, coming into play with the trees we're looking at. And one of the first things that comes to mind is if the tree is grafted, I'm going to be really picky about precisely where that foliage is. And is it positioned in a way to best highlight the trunk? And so this tree has a lot of drama in the trunk and the foliage is kind of sitting above that almost like a cloud floating above the whole scene and one of the hardest things can be to figure out find ways to integrate that foliage with that deadwood and so Andrew and I are both kind of motioning down in time as this fills in there will be a good opportunity to develop a back branch which might peek through below some of the gin on the right side and um, start to incorporate the foliage with the tree to make kind of a more whole composition yeah i think some foliage on the lower right would just really really just tie tie this in really really beautifully but a really really awesome tree you don't I, at least i don't see too many sierra trunks of of this level of interest in the deadwood it's it's really special yeah it's kind of fun and i this will be a tree i'll look forward to seeing what it looks like five ten years down the road absolutely all right we're gonna move on to a, a tree of mine actually so we can we can totally trash it <laughs> it's a uh, a white chochibai flowering quince chochibai is a natural dwarf japanese flowering quince nobody really knows where it comes from there's a lot of myth and folklore about that um, but you know I, I have a lot of trees in my garden but um this this was one i wanted to bring down one because it fit in the truck <laughs> pretty nicely but two uh it's it's a tree that i've had you know it's one of my oldest trees you know I, it was a nursery stock uh, quince um, I we, when I started it it had you know sizable trunks you know the size of your finger um, but they didn't really have a lot of interest or, or quality to them no they were taperless they'd had poor movement uh, and so I was in high school uh, I, I was in a study group with Mike Hagedorn who, who I ended up apprenticing with down the road uh, and he took my beautiful big quince and he cut it we, we cut it back to you know one inch stubs everywhere coming out of the soil uh, and so you know from those stubs I, I completely regrew the tree that, that we have here and it's, it's just kind of fun to honor you know last 12 years of work that we put into it 12 years is all from field to show 12 years from from field to show yeah this was probably a telperion farms you know just you know just white chochabai cutting that they grew and you know grew it you know as, as you know relatively big bush just to get some caliper on it a couple things came to mind right away when i saw it before i realized it was andrew's tree my very first comment was it's so big and there were two reasons for that thought the one is it's a very shrub form chojubai and it doesn't have the window you often see in front of these when they're clump style you often just get the clump and so i hadn't even peeked inside to see whether or not the interior branches were as heavy as i'd expect for such a large silhouette also adding to that bigness is the trees covered with two inches of new growth all over it which just 
tells you how happy they are in Andrew's garden. These things are just screaming and reaching out wider and wider, and I wish I could get that kind of growth. Yeah, white chochabai are kind of fun because uh, of the chochabai family, the white chochabai is the strongest. It's going to grow the, the most caliper, the, the longest extensions. Uh, so if you have, you know, if chochabai is kind of a borderline plant for you, um, get a white one because that yeah. one will, will you'll have better luck with. Uh, the one trade-off, though, is the white chochabai do not bark up like the red ones do. So we get that more smooth, um, Toyo Nishiki quince bark. Um, it doesn't get that craggly, you know, flaky bark, fissured bark that we get on the red chochabai. Uh, but but they're really really fun plants. Like Jonas said, it's it's really dense. It looks like a bush, and that's because chochabai is a bush. This is a really kind of natural representation of what chochabai would look like. Lots of multiple trunks, lots of crazy spastic movement. Uh, this show is in April, and deciduous bonsai are designed to look good uh, in the wintertime. And so um, while this does look like a bush when all those leaves drop, it, it starts to reveal the magic. And so this time of year, we, you know, it just finished flowering, so we get to appreciate it for that. Now we get to appreciate the, the nice, cute little foliage that we get on, on Chochabai. Um, and yeah, this we, is much tighter foliage than I get on my white chojibai. This is a really nice small-leaved white. Yeah, this one's really, really slowing down pretty nicely. Um, you know, it's getting to the point where I either need to up-pot it um, because it's, it's starting to get a little too big or uh, we need to cut it back. But it's, it's been a really fun adventure getting it to this point. One question for you. In the tree that takes a bush form, there are no distinct branch pads on the tree. There's no window even to the trunk. It is more or less a ball of healthy foliage with tiny leaves. How does one suggest style in their approach to chojubai? It's the arrangement of the chaos that we look for. <laughs> so um, it's where does that chaos look best um, from our front? And so it's, it's really hard to see this now from the photo that you're, you're probably looking at in Jonas's blog or us here standing in front of it in person. But uh, from, you know, once this drops its leaves, the, the chaos looks really good at this spot. This tree's getting to the point where it's, it's developing so much that we might need to cut a window in to see that base, or maybe we start looking at a front change. But now that, you know, this design is kind of stabilized, we can kind of start to look at those next steps, too. The other thing I've often wondered is this is relatively... Uh, symmetrical kind of yeah. dome and uh, some of the really interesting chochabai that I see have more kind of organic silhouette shapes so that's something that I might think about in the future but uh without that there's no directionality and you can display this left or right yeah a little bit this one does have longer branches on the right so you'd have to flip it around <laughs> but uh yeah, it's fun. I, I have it displayed with a little shooting star. You know, nobody no, really knows where Chochabai come from. So, you know, it's hard to pair it with that perfect natural accent. So I just chose something that was more proportionate in size and, and had some seasonality since the Chochabai was mostly done flowering. So it's a little dodecathon, you know, little shooting star. And the peg stand is probably the most conservative stand choice for a tree of this style. Yeah, it's, it's a very subtle... Yeah, stand. Very classical, traditional yeah, stand. It's stand. a beautiful stand. It's, it's a David Niddle stand, who's one of our more prolific stand makers here in the U.S. He doesn't always get that wood either. That is a really, really nice wood. Yeah, I forget what type. It's some type of rosewood, and he, he uses several different types. But if you need a stand, David is, is one of our best. The, the Jita is a, a Manzanita Jita, which I thought was a fun mm -hmm. thing coming down in California. That's uh, made by Austin Heitzman. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a really, really fun tree to, to watch over the years. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next 12 years with it. 
Yeah, and I'm curious what form it'll take because it's about the maximum height you'll ever see out of a chojubai. Often they don't like to grow up. The white definitely more than the orange or red, but I'll be curious, is this a test of how tall they get before they start weakening or can can the ball just keep inflating? Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see. The, because the whites are so strong and because, you know, I really appreciate those massive chochabai that we see in the kokafu, yeah. um, I think I want to grow this one bigger. So I'll probably up-pot it and probably in another two to four years it'll be ready for <laughs> a larger pot yet. So it's it's a fun journey. Andrew may not know it, but on my first trip to Japan, Chojubai was, this was in 1999, my first trip to Japan, and it was the first species that had been previously uninteresting to me, and I really fell for it the instant I saw one in person. Because in the books, I thought, oh, cool, a bush with orange flowers. But then when I finally saw one in person, I noticed that the orange flowers had a glow to them, and the complexity was just fascinating. And so it did not take much uh, effort at all to make me a convert. Yeah, let's let's uh, move on. This is a uh, Washington hawthorn. Um, the species might be familiar. We we podcasted about Washington hawthorn at the U.S. National Show. That was Dennis Voitilla's uh, best deciduous winning tree in that now Tokutake pot. This is the same species. Really, really fun to see. Very, very different style than that tree in the National Show. That tree was very natural looking, kind of big informal broom. Versus this one's a little bit more bonsai looking, and it's it's fun to see the the two next to each other. Uh, it has some beautiful gnarliness to the, the trunk. It looks like it might have some deadwood at the base, which just adds to the character of this plant. Um, but really nice ramification on this, nice density branching. And uh, beautiful exhibition. It's, it's on a stand that gives it breath and, and room, which is so important. Nice um, balance of aesthetics to the tree. Uh, really fun to see. Yeah, I got to say the generous stand actually stands out to me. It 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 is kind of relaxing. Like it it's nice for me to see. I'd much rather see a slightly large stand than small in a case like this. Yeah, I think you and I both agree. We see stands that are too small more than we see ones that are too big. And as Andrew noted, there's a lot of deadwood near the base of the trunk. But unlike most deadwood you'll see on deciduous trees, the color is almost indistinguishable from the color of the bark, which is kind of fascinating. And it just gives it kind of an old gnarly character. And it's less about whether or not one part is live or dead and more about just telling a story of what Hawthorns do so well is they're a little rough around the edges. They are. And it's, you know, you see that in the bark, you see that in the form of these trees. You know, these are kind of um, kind of pioneer plants they're they're kind of weeds they're if, not if you your have, prissy beach for instance no no they they, they grow all over if, if you have them in the area uh, and so this this is a fun one washington hawthorn is is one of my favorites of all the hawthorn family and there's a lot of hawthorns out there um, but Wa washington hawthorn has a really nice small leaf so you start with an advantage there i mean most hawthorns have small leaves but this one the quality of the leaf is a nice shape uh, it gets outstanding fall color compared to other hawthorns it's a good one to play with if you have it uh, accessible in your area it is. At a glance, if you walked by the tree quickly, it would look like a trident maple. The leaves are very exactly. similar in color, shape, and size. And you, some tridents are a little smoother margin than others, but th this is very trident-like. Yeah, it, it's a gorgeous tree. It's a it, really, really nice display. Yeah, and I know the. Uh, it's in a cool pot. I forget. It might be a reho pot, but this actually came from... A hobbyist in Japan had a beautiful garden somewhere in central Japan, outside of uh, Shizuoka, 
And I remember I found this pot on the ground under a table. And I don't know if the guy was selling pots or not, but I asked and he said yes. And they probably shook their heads as I took it away. But uh, I, it was funny that I found that on the ground in just literally some hobbyist house in the middle of Japan. Yeah, it's a good thing to bring up because this is a pot with good aesthetic that probably was not a fortune to, to, to afford. Um, and if you can get used pots, you know, a tokenami pot that's been around for a decade or two or three, uh, you can get the aesthetic you want without the antique Chinese price, which can pair nicely with an old tree like this. I mean, it has, you know, this was a cream pot when it was made. You know, it's gotten a lot of nice patina to it. It's, it's good aesthetic for the for the dollar yeah yeah and a nice fit for the tree all right we are in front of a very impressive japanese maple this this is one of the larger trees if not the largest tree in the exhibition um it has really nice presence you know big trees in an exhibition you know they make you feel small and and, and this one you know it has that presence uh, and it's it's not just a big tree it's a good tree as well and it's 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 fun to fun to look at it makes me want to stand up straight when i stand in front of it because it's taller than me right now yeah, it's, it's really, really fun. You can obviously tell this is a, a tree that's been around for, for quite some time. It's got a really nice space. It's a clump-style tree, which, you know, for me, I, I enjoy the clump maples more because that's how they naturally grow. Um, it's the Japanese maples, that is. And so I, I like multiple trunks. I think the interplay of the trunks is really, really fun. Um, and this one, you know, it's, it's such a big, full, dense tree. Um, like we said with the quince, you know, it's, it's, it's can be hard to see what's going on uh, this time of year. But I actually like that challenge. It invites you to come up, look underneath, kind of walk around it. It's it it's not just all obvious. It's it's you have right. to you have to work to see it, which I enjoy. And that's a key to most deciduous trees during the growing season when they have their foliage. But Andrew really stuck his finger right on it when you talk about the difference between larger or smaller trees. You literally have to move your body, turn your head side to side. You have to take multiple steps to get from one side to the other to fully appreciate it. Yeah, kneel down on the ground and yeah, look up. And it's such a different experience than you have with a small tree where you twitch your eye left or right, and that's the alpha to omega. But here we get a much more visceral experience because we have to move through space to appreciate all that the tree has to offer. Yeah. It's, it's really gorgeous. I love the tree. It's in a fantastic pot. The sand, again, yeah. just gives it nice breathing room. It doesn't, not, not, even for being as big as it is, it doesn't feel congested. Maybe the table could be an eight-foot table, then a six-foot. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the tree itself and the composition just feels really nice. And one of my favorite things about clump styles for maple, Andrew, uh, talked about how it resembles how the maples grow in nature. The other thing it does is it almost forces us out of the habit of making a bonsai out of a maple and instead suggesting that up and out growth pattern that we're more likely to see. And when you have a single trunk, especially, uh, you know, the normal X current form on a maple, it, they can make beautiful bonsai or it can be kind of an odd fit at times because it's kind of forcing into a more horizontal branch structure. Whereas this, the multiple trunks are already doing the work of going up and out and then the branches can key from that. And it, it, Japanese maples are nice because, you know, they give nice elegance to a show. You know, yeah. we, there's there's some nice big collected junipers in the room. Um, there's some nice big trunk tridents. But this this is nice because it, even though it's a big tree, it has a lot of presence. It does have an elegance and a, and a softness to it, which which is really nice. 
On that note, at the other end of the spectrum, there is a much smaller maple that is some kind of dwarf cultivar. We have yet to figure out which one it is. And it's many of the exact same characteristics that we, we were just talking about, but in a much smaller form. Yeah, this is a beautiful maple. I, I suspect this would might be a kiyohime. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a gorgeous little tree. You know, there's so many big trees in the room that... This is one, at first glance, you might walk right past, um, but uh, it's, it's really a quality little tree. Again, it's, it's, it's a multi-trunk form, but it's a wider form than the, the tree we just looked at at Peter, which is more tall and narrow. Uh, I like that contrast. It's, it's nice to have both. It's a nice counterpoint and shows you the, the, the variety of clump style. Just because something's a clump style doesn't yeah. mean it fits into one box. There's lots of different ways to approach it. From the perspective of evaluating this tree, we would be looking at the trunk. We'd be looking at how well the branches complement the trunk. We'd be looking at the overall kind of silhouette to see does the silhouette make sense based on the trunk and branches. And it's interesting. The actual core trunk is pretty small, but as it splits into what you might think of as trunk extensions and or branches are a great kind of intermediate structure to the tree, which helps make sense of the overall silhouette, which I think really fits it well. Yeah, the, the trunk really fractures very low, you know, in the first inch or two or three coming out of the soil. And I actually think that gives this one even more naturalness than the previous tree that we looked at. It, it, it very is true. To, it's true to form to how so many Japanese maples grow in, in gardens and in the landscape. Yeah, and it's funny. The other thing I'm thinking, I'm so used to looking at deciduous trees in winter where it's just the structure. I keep forgetting to give full credit for just how much mass maples have in summer even though it's a lighter feeling because the leaves are so th slender they are broad and you can't see through them the same way and so they actually take up a ton of visual weight maples are actually fairly mighty trees when shown in leaf they are that and that that contrast gives us beautiful counterpoint throughout the different seasons and it's such a great reason to justify having shows throughout the season. I am always going to be partial to winter shows and fall shows for so many reasons, but I also want there to be shows during the growing season. I want fruit, I want foliage, I want flowers when we get the chance. Yeah, and I'm glad you said foliage because the Japanese maple family, each with seedling selections, which is just natural genetic variations on on you know on the green leaf maple or cultivars like what this one likely is. There's so much different beautiful Japanese maple foliage that we can appreciate and this is really the time of year where we where we really grasp on that um, and, and this tree does great it's, it's very lush it's healthy I don't see any damaged leaves or anything like that so we get to appreciate the foliage a lot on a deciduous plant this time of year yeah and maybe that's why being that this is Sacramento they have it in spring because I don't know what the maples look like in August around here <laughs> yeah probably not the best time for a show but they did it well because as we walk through the room, we see accent plants with flowers. We see all kinds of indications that we are in spring right now. And it's just a really fun time to show trees. There's also a, a, a nice Suiseki exhibit here. And, uh, you know, I'm standing in front of a, a Murphy stone, which Jonas can probably tell me more about. I'm, I'm a big stone guy. I have a lot of uh, Japanese stones in my collection, um, a few California stones. But of all the Murphy stones in the room, this one is actually really, really beautiful. It has nice natural imagery. I, I think it's of all this, the Murphy stones in, in the room, it's, it's really impressive. And so I've seen many, many Murphy stones over the years because it's one of our local stones that we see a lot of. I'm curious to hear from you. What does this stone suggest? 
this kind of looks like Castle Craig, which is opposite Mount Shasta up in Northern California. It has these big, tall granite rock formations. Formations. I mean, you can almost look and see, you know, Alex Honolder, you know, a rock climber scaling up one of these big walls. Um, it's it's a really, really beautiful stone. It's got a lot of asymmetry to it and irregularity. So it's 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 organic in its form. But I, I, I don't know. I think the imagery is really intense in this stone. Yeah, it's a funny mix of what we might expect from Monument Valley or some other, you know, prominent palisades in a more, you know, granite-like structure. But it is this wonderful reddish color coming out of the gray. And I think one thing that is make uh, two things really make the Murphy Stone so evocative. I think the one is it's just a cool geological formation. We're not used to seeing two different kinds of stone growing out of each other. That's just not the average rock on the ground. The other thing is that I think it's easier for them to suggest mountains than a lot of other forms, whereas the basic mountain stone will give us the silhouette of a mountain. These actually give us the texture of our Southwest mountains, which is a more characteristically American form. And I think another reason why we just love these. It's it's a little easier to appreciate for a Western audience where subtlety is maybe not our strong suit. (laughs) Exactly. It's a much easier starting point, but really cool show. And I've been seeing more and more or at much higher level Suiseki displayed in bonsai exhibits in recent years. And it's kind of a fun trend. It's really taking off. You know I mean, ter- historically, bonsai and suiseki are the yin and yang. I mean, they both are, you know, nature that you can hold in your hand. One is plant material, one is the, the landscape. And, uh, you know, for, for hundreds of years, bonsai professionals were also suiseki professionals. They brokered the same things. And it's only very recently has that kind of segregated into different communities. But it's, it's, it's fun to see it here in the show. There's a really nice variety of both Japanese stones, it looks like, and, and, and native California stones as well. And considering that the first known image in the world of a bonsai is a rock planting. And so it is a tray with a stone and with a little tree. And that's what bonsai was for the longest time, much before the word bonsai came into play, particularly in Japan, is we had these kind of tray plantings where stone and plant material were all together. You know, the other fun thing about this Murphy stone is it it shows us, you know, you don't just have to get a stone from Japan for it to be a Suiseki. And we we found that out with our our native plant material here in the U.S. and, you know, recently and even, you know, a long long way back. But it's, it's fun to see that with stones as well. Now, one thing we didn't comment about this composition is how fantastic the Daisa is. And it's formed according to a lot of fairly conservative Japanese aesthetics in terms of the support for this stone, but it's really fantastic work. You often don't see such elegant and elegance and finesse in a Daiza for a Murphy stone. So it's really nice when they come together like yeah, this. Yeah, it's gorgeous. This is a Jerry Braswell Daiza, who I believe collected the stone. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a cut stone. And it's a good thing to note that a lot of stones in, in Japan, a lot of suiseki are manipulated. You can think of suiseki like deadwood on a conifer. Sometimes you can make some improvements to enhance it, maybe delete some material or, 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 or round out a shape or something like that. We see that in suiseki. You know, some 
some you know some very famous historical suiseki that have sold for tens of thousands of dollars if not more have been altered uh, and that's just been a traditional thing like we shape our trees to enhance their aesthetic yeah. we do the same with stones too uh, we don't do a lot of altering here in the U.S., but we do cut the bottoms, yeah. and that, that makes for um, a much easier dyza, uh, much more effortless, effortless dyza for a, a woodworker. And so that's kind of our brief walk through this exhibit. Andrew and I love walking around exhibits and talking about trees, so you'll have to let us know if you'd like us to do more of these kind of episodes. Otherwise, because this is what we do when we're not recording, is we walk around and talk about our favorite we trees. We do the exact like. same thing. Yeah. yeah. So so thanks for checking this out. Again, all the photos of the trees in the stone are up on Bonsai tonight, and you can check it out there. Uh, there's a lot more great trees in the exhibition we didn't have time to chat about. But uh, uh, if you are enjoy exhibitions, then make sure you uh, check out the Pacific Bonsai Expo, which Jonas is putting on with Eric Schrader later in the year. That's going to be another fun opportunity to see some beautiful displays. And kudos and thank you to the Association of Bonsai in Sacramento, ABAS, for hosting us this time, particularly for bringing Andrew down to town so he could uh, present and giving us the opportunity to hang out here today. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at blue dot sessions check them out at www.sessions.blue